Hello and welcome to VR Download. I'm Ian Hamilton coming to you from Virtual Reality. I'm recording this podcast from a MetaQuest 2 standalone VR headset joined by my co-host who I have never met in the physical world because he lives on a different continent from me. Heaney, what do we have today? So today we're going to talk about the Quest V38 update, the Magic Leap controllers, an interesting feature of them that's going to be a first for the industry. We're going to talk about the Steam VR figures that Valve revealed, which includes the new user growth for last year and the fact that most headsets in use are now Quests. We're going to talk about Oculus Move getting integrated into Apple Health and Valve's Gabe Newell comments on the metaverse. He kind of blasted some of the metaverse hype. So we're going to discuss what that might mean and what could really be behind that hype. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to get into there with that last subject. I've obviously got my own thoughts on that matter. But let's get into that uh, first subject right there with Quest V38. So that's rolling out now to Quest headsets, and it usually takes a little while for those updates to arrive. So if you don't see it yet on a Quest, uh, you might have to wait a little bit. But it lays the groundwork for Horizon Home. That's the announced feature, a socially enabled home from Meta. And a couple of the multiplayer features, if you're in a party with other users, there's a recently met feature, which will let you connect with users you've recently played games with online. The settings menu has been updated to a new layout that has a search bar, and you can mark out your couch, as well as your desk. And those have moved from experimental features up to general lease features, and you can set those things up in the Guardian settings. Keeney, can you run us through what some of these features are? Back at Connect, Meta did announce that they're going to make the Quest home environment social, and they're calling this Horizon Home. And we haven't seen that actually roll out yet. We've seen a preview of it. But in this update, what they're doing is highlighting the apps in your library that other party users own that use their multiplayer integration features. So this is a small step into their preferred feature for their home experience where you just add your friends into a party and you can very quickly see which apps you can launch directly into a session for because any of these apps that use the destinations api will allow you to do that and they allow for functionality such as if your friends are already in a session you can do one click and go straight into that session without having to go through the apps multiplayer kind of settings or join any kind of server browser or any of that complexity that kind of makes getting into VR with your friends more hassle than it should be. One of the things I noted in the V38 change log, though, which is a kind of odd thing for them to say without detailing, is we're making improvements to the tracking system on your device. Some users will need to create a new Guardian. So that seems to suggest there are some major tracking updates. We haven't seen that in the change log for quite a while. And I'd love to know what those details are. We've reached out to Facebook to see if we can get an answer. But Mm -hmm. for now, I'm noticing that the Guardian lines on the ground do seem to be a lot more solid and aligned in pass-through. So maybe it's the headset tracking there that's been improved. My takeaway here is it it really feels like we're close to having a a nice co-location experience right from the the very moment you put the headset on. We've obviously seen some, even Steam VR Home has social features that have been there for years. It's taken a long road to get here. How many revisions have we seen Facebook attempt before actually getting all these pieces in place? 
Well, yeah, both Meta and Valve have gone through a lot of iterations of their default home experience and Steam VR Home has changed in its kind of scope and what Valve wants it to be. In recent years, it does seem that they've put more focus into the Steam VR dashboard and core user interface experience rather than going down that social path. But yeah, we are close to a future where, you know, you just go straight into the headset and you're in a party and instead of being in an audio call, your friends are there right beside you as avatars and you jump between experiences without all of this complexity. The biggest barrier there still seems to be that most developers still haven't adopted the APIs needed. So, you know, this changelog talks about, you know, highlighting the app that uses these multiplayer features. That's still going to require those developers to integrate them. And one of the big barriers there is that if developers that are on other platforms like Steam VR or PlayStation VR want to integrate these features, they're going to have to kind of make a little separate multiplayer code for Quest and for these other platforms. And how you get those two to play nicely isn't always so clear. If Meta wants to see this more integrated, they're going to have to either support those other platforms in some way, however they manage to do that, or at least make it easier for developers to only adopt a little bit of their functionality without having to kind of adopt their entire um, system and ignore those other platforms. Interesting. Yeah, I'm curious how that relates to sort of the avatar situation coming from Meta, where you can kind of have the avatar system extend to other platforms to a certain extent, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the same situation there where, you know, other platforms can use meta avatars, but they can only choose between a dozen pre-made avatars. They can't actually create their own avatar. So if, again, if meta wants these systems to be adopted by developers, they're going to have to make it more practical to be used across different platforms. This next subject, Magic Leap 2's controllers have onboard inside-out tracking cameras. So that means tracking will work even when the headset can't see them. And that's without the need for something like the Valve base stations, which you put in the corners of the room to track those controllers. Hina, you made a a very helpful chart to break down the different tracking technologies. It's a very useful breakdown of the various tracking technologies. And of course, yeah, we'll go over the images here as well. Entrepreneur Peter Diamandis shared an image of him using the Magic Leap 2. And the first thing you notice is that there are two cameras on the front of the controllers and there's no tracking ring. And we actually went back to the source that told us about the Magic Leap specs that were showed off in January at a conference called SPIE Photonics West. And they told us that we'd actually missed that the Magic Leap did share that these controllers use inside-out tracking. And by that, I don't mean the kind of inside-out tracking we see on Quest, where cameras on the headset look at infrared LEDs under the controller rings. I mean the controllers themselves are doing the exact same thing that the Quest headset would do, or that other inside-out tracked headsets, like you know the Windows Mixed Reality headsets or Vive Focus 3 do, where these cameras sense their position in the room using an, a chip that is inside the controller. So each controller is tracking itself completely independently from the headset. It's one of those things where in social VR in third person, it doesn't really matter that much because you don't know what the other person was really intending to do. But then there's a difference between what they actually did and what you see. That means you can do something like look all the way to the left while shooting right and have the controller kind of continue to be accurately tracked. You could put the controller kind of down underneath an object that the the headset is blocking and have it continue to be tracked and there's other kind of use cases such as you know if you're looking all the way up and trying to grab something below you 
for the vast majority of use cases, this doesn't really matter. Even something like the Quest, the tracking range is wide enough on the headset that you're not really going to have a huge issue. But one of the problems with inside-out tracking from the headset is that your hand or arm can block it. So if I do this kind of rotation motion and go under one of my elbows, I could be trying to pass an object underneath myself. And in, in some situations where you need very precise object manipulation, that's going to be a problem. Now, over time, obviously, the Quest tracking algorithms have got really good at, at handling this. So re we're really talking about you know the 2% or 1% of use cases where you need the controller to be tracked all the time. Magic Leap 2 is going to be a multi-thousand dollar product for large businesses. So this isn't something for general consumers. It, it may be that this kind of technology is too expensive to come to consumer products. The only other headset we know of that's going to have this technology based on the leaks we saw back in September is Meta's upcoming project Cambria which they say is going to be a higher priced product and separate to the Quest line. On Quest and Quest 2, you've got cameras on the headset. In something like the Valve Index or the HTC Vive, you've got your base stations. In the Vive Focus 1, when it got a update called the Vive Focus Plus, HTC was using ultrasonic, which is quite similar to what you're going to see in something like Quest, except it's using sound emissions rather than light and you know ultrasonic sensors rather than cameras it has a lot of the same limitations in, in, in terms of occlusion because sound can't pass through physical objects while keeping the same frequency magnetic tracking we saw in magic leap one we also saw it in the pico neo 2 but in the pico neo 3 they actually went back to the quest like camera on headset method and finally we have this new method that's clearly going to be used in Magic Leap 2 and in Meta's high-end project Cambria, which is to put the cameras on controllers. There is no overall best method because even if you kind of say that this one's got almost no occlusion and very high precision, it's still very expensive to do. And that's because you have to have a processor in each controller to handle all of, the, all of the input from the cameras you have to have those cameras and you have to make the battery larger because that chip is going to be drawing much more power than just a chip on these controllers it just flashes leds in a pattern for consumer headsets i actually don't think they're going to diverge from the camera on headset methodology for quite a while i could be completely wrong about that but it just seems to me that the cost increase from having to put that chip and the bigger battery in is going to be too much to come down into products that are like a $300 price point. Can the cameras on controllers have a major benefit for body tracking? I guess there's still going to be occlusion from your body all the time, but if you've already got the body 70% of the way there, couldn't the controllers get you another 20% filling in the gaps? You mean as in the controllers looking back on your body? Or seeing where your feet are at any given moment, yeah. So I think, the, well, the problem with that in the current designs you've seen so far is that the cameras are on the front of the controller, so they're pointing away from you all the time. But even if you did put the cameras on the side, or you know, we saw on some of the Cambria leaked images that there may be a camera on top, you can't rely on those cameras actually looking at the user because you know if you're assuming that the user is going to sit like this the entire time, sure, you can do body tracking, but in a VR game or experience, they're going to be here and here and all over the place, and they're going to be moving rapidly. So while you can track you know, features in the room relative to the controllers, trying to do something like track someone's body separately from that and kind of make sure that even as you're rapidly changing angles, you keep a good lock on body, 
I don't see that as practical personally. I think you're going to need something that's stationary. You can't really, it, it seems like that would be like hitting a, a moving bullet, but mm. over well, time I, you could attach these controllers to the body more easily because you no longer need this tracking ring. What happens when a headset acts more as a phone and how it should behave when not in use? So let's say maybe you leave the controllers down. Could the cameras on the controllers track you because they're facing the play space? And for that same reason, could a Cambria headset that's sitting on a docking pad waiting to be used watch you to see which room you're in so that it knows which device to bring? If you've got a call coming in, that's the type of things I've been wondering about longer term. You said it right at the beginning there that cameras on the headset, occlusion happens quite a bit, but they're very precise now with the machine learning algorithms. And the cost is cheap because you're using just the four sensors combined with some of the accelerometers and stuff that will be in the controllers themselves. And you're right, that does seem like the path forward for the foreseeable future, but we've had this high-end experience in the base stations since 2016 on the market where you can mount these laser base stations in either corner of the room, and you might still get occlusion if you try, but in SteamVR 2.0 base stations, you can put up four of those base stations and make those occlusion situations even less likely. The precision is very high, but then the cost is, it's not even just expensive, it's very expensive. Isn't it likely that the cameras on the controllers, even though they're expensive, are still going to be less than external base stations? Isn't that likely? Yeah, exactly, because the, the external base stations are kind of a worst-case scenario from a cost perspective, because not only do you have to have those base stations, which you know currently cost $150 each, but the controller still has to then have its own chip that processes the input, because the base stations aren't doing the tracking. All they're doing is emitting a pattern at a certain timing frequency so that the controllers can pick up that pattern and determine where they are. So they're still having to do onboard processing. It's just without cameras. It's using photodiodes instead. So it does seem unlikely to me that the base station approach is going to be a part of the future of popular VR. I th I've said this before, but I think you know, in Valve's next headset, I think it's very unlikely they're going to require base stations though I think it's very possible that they will allow you to use base stations and to improve the quality and allow you to use those things like trackers. But the question is, of course, can cameras on controllers get down to the cost that's low enough to compete with cameras on the headset? I think one of the interesting points that Onakazi makes here is that the, the cameras on the controllers are going to be quite low resolution and th there's only so much computing power that they're going to have. So, you know, kind of adding more advanced tracking features that we we're talking about earlier seems fairly unlikely there. Mm -hmm. But it'll be interesting to see what each company does, because obviously, you know, we have PlayStation VR 2 announced to use this cameras on headset approach. And we don't really have any future products using any of these other approaches in the consumer market. Yeah, I think there was some, wasn't there some heat in one of these uh, also being a concern? And obviously in all of these, there's going to be kind of various heat concerns in different ways, depending on the processing involved. I think it, the, with magnetic tracking, you have a weight problem where to get mm -hmm. more precise, you have to kind of increase the weight of the controllers. And 
obviously it's that combination of weight and cost that meant that Pico went from using magnetic in the Neo 2 to going to cameras on the headset in the Neo 3. Yeah, it very much becomes a race uh, to the best algorithm. It changes the dynamic. If you start standardizing all on the same tracking system, it becomes who has the best kind of algorithm for solving a lot of these things. Do we have any comments there that we should respond to before moving on to the next subject here? Shalaska says that cameras on the controllers is a step towards cameras on a body-worn tracker. Yep, that would be a very interesting idea because then, you know, the headset doesn't have to see the tracker and you don't need base stations either. Though, again, mm-hmm. the cost is going to be a, a concern there. And, the you know, the question is, if you have good enough computer vision to do this kind of thing, surely you can have good enough computer vision to have an external sensor that you set in the corner of your room that has a, you know, wide color camera and maybe plugs into USB and can actually track your body from an external reference, which it seems have like we, a more obvious path. Have we discussed um, the, the the watch as being a potential avenue for that? I didn't thought about the watch being used optically uh, for, for tracking with its cameras. Oh, yeah, the watch. Yeah, we saw that... Um, for anyone that's not aware, you know, there's rumors and reports that Meta is going to come out with a smartwatch and their kind of unique approach here is that they want to have a little camera on it. And from some of the patents and reports, the watch may be actually detachable. So you can kind of slide it off and set it down to be used as a third person camera. And, you know, maybe if they can get that to to do body tracking, I'm skeptical that it, something that small is going to have the processor or battery to make that practical. I'd say that maybe, you know, that's not going to last more than 15 minutes in terms of doing a heavy computer vision task like that. It's just, We're still at this era where, you know, a lot of this is very computationally expensive and very power hungry. So even, even the fact that, you know, these controllers that we're talking about are doing much more basic algorithms than body tracking. They're just doing slam. They're just looking at, you know, unique points in your room and, and locating themselves ref- relative to that. And they're already going to be looking at, you know, a few hours of battery life with a battery that's the size of your hand. So to get that into a watch, I'm, I'm skeptical. Well, it's just I guess it's just very interesting to think about the different use cases where potentially that, like you, you talked about bringing it off and putting it separate, but it's interesting to think about the use case of like turning the watch towards you and have giving it a really good view of your face as you say something to your watch as if you're like leaving a voice message or doing a phone call directly into your watch and maybe you know you could get some great facial tracking out of a system like that for a very short amount of time before it just going back to being a watch situation yeah it seems like the the headset would be more practical for that though i i'm skeptical that this is a particularly comfortable position to hold i don't know how long you can hold that for but i I mean leaving a voice message if i'm gonna call if i'm gonna leave you a quick voice message hey heaney come come play walk about mini golf with me i would at least show you a more animated avatar for that one quick uh thing but anyways it's that those are the things i think meta is probably working out right now is exactly how all these use cases are going to work out in the future and we we started this off with uh that discussion about how horizon home is going to to start that process in a very strong way here. So we've got two subjects here that I think are pretty related. I'm going to talk about them together. Valve says it saw an 11% growth in new VR users on Steam in 2021. We also have the latest Steam VR hardware survey results, which show that more than 50% of VR headsets used on Steam 
our quests. So that's quest one and quest two combined. It now has crossed the threshold, and you can say that a majority of VR headsets in use on Valve Steam are quests. Both these figures are very strong indicators of growth in VR, Heaney, but they're very different kinds of growth. Can you break down what the takeaways from these two different figures are? Yeah, so with the relative market share here, and that's what these figures show, the of the percentage of Steam users that used VR in a given month, last month, how many were using each headset? We've seen month over month that the Quest 2's share of that has increased and increased. So over time, more and more of Steam VR usage is just becoming Quest 2 users. And you know that can be over Oculus Link. It can be over Virtual Desktop. It can be over ALVR, the open source software that does that. The method doesn't matter. The, the point is that they're using their Quest as a PC VR headset. And this month, we've finally seen that number of Quest 1 plus Quest 2 jump over 50%. So it, the majority of Steam VR use now is people using their Quest, a standalone headset, as a PC VR headset. And native PC headsets, headsets that are designed you know, to only work on PC via DisplayPort or HDMI, are now the minority. And this is a trend you know, we've been talking about on this show for, for months, if not years. It's something that we've been expecting because from a consumer use case, if these headsets are actually cheaper and they do both. You know, you can use them as standalone consoles and you can use them as a PC headset. From a normal buyer's perspective, why wouldn't they go with that? We've, you know, we've heard rumors that Valve's next headset is likely to take the same approach to be a standalone headset that you can also use with your PC. And it's likely going to be the approach that the majority of the industry take over time now, just because Quest has proven out the kind of market appeal and practicality. What we haven't really still seen is the overall number of Steam users with a VR headset increasing much recently. Over time, it's very gradually grown, but you can see down here, it's still only 2%. Now, that is more than the number of people who use Linux, so you know it's not insignificant, but it means that the PC gaming market in general, i.e., you know, the number of people who put a graphics card in their desktop or buy a gaming laptop and install Steam and start playing games is growing as fast or slightly faster than virtual reality. So PC VR is still kind of stagnating, unfortunately. We're still not seeing that huge growth of users in PC VR that people have been expecting. And that's likely because of the fact that you know, there are no competitive native VR headsets to Quest, and there haven't been any major AAA PC VR games released recently. It's been two years now since Half-Life Alex. It's been years since we saw something like Skyrim VR or Payday VR or Fallout VR. And as Meta's funding priority has shifted away from PC to Quest, that you know, they've said that they will no longer be funding PC titles. We're still waiting for another publisher or platform holder to come and fill that gap or for the market to kind of gradually grow to the point where publishers can develop these huge games for PC without needing to be propped up by something like Meta. It's so interesting to me that Sony PlayStation VR is on the chart, even though there is absolutely no official support of any kind for playing a PSVR headset on a PC. And it's still ranked above several 
uh, attempts at the consumer market here over the years. I mean, Pico Neo 2, a couple Pimax, it's right in there with a Pimax uh, in the same sort of ballpark here. And then just the fact that every headset almost outside of the Neo 3 um, and maybe Vive Cosmos is a headset that's no longer on sale anymore, right? Underneath the Valve Index, all of these are resellers you know you're, you're selling an old one headset to another user and then moving up to one of these new headsets and that's why these things are still represented on the market is they're still getting passed around and used probably secondhand at this point uh despite a lot of you know that's how this newer stuff is rolling out into the market but he do you think the psvr2 is going to need to more officially support pc as an avenue how can PSVR 2 stand up against kind of what the story tells us? So the first thing I'd say there is, you know, there is one headset that is still new that's represented here, but it's declining. The, the Arguably, if you didn't want a Quest 2 and you wanted to go play PC VR games right now, the headset I would tell you to get, and again, this is if you were saying, I don't want to buy a meta product, is HP's Reverb G2, which they recently updated to in prove the vertical tracking volume but it's under windows mixed reality here and it's contracting so you know consumers clearly don't want it playstation vr2 that's a it's an interesting idea because as you say we see playstation vr1 represented on here and that's through third-party open source drivers that you can get on the internet the tracking there works because you you know playstation vr1 is tracked from what is essentially a webcam and you can put in that, you know, put in a similar webcam to a PC and people have written their own version of the tracking software that follows those colored blobs around your room, just like PlayStation VR. The thing that would make it more difficult for that same project to, to work on PlayStation VR 2 is that it's an inside out tracking system. So you would have to have an open source version of both the head tracking, you know, simultaneous location and mapping. And the controller tracking, which is tracking, you know, those infrared LEDs under that tracking ring. We haven't seen, as far as I'm aware, any open source project get there yet. I think there are some that are working on it, but they're nowhere near close to the kind of precision mm. you would need for VR, never mind the reliability. But of course, you know, you ask also, would it get official support? I can't see that happening. It didn't happen with PlayStation VR 1. And fundamentally, you have to remember that PlayStation VR is a value add to the PlayStation 5 console. That's what it's designed to be. It is, for Sony, it's a reason of many reasons in their view that you would get a PlayStation over an Xbox. It's one of those things that they want to have in that list so that when you're sitting there saying, do I want a PS5 or a Series X, you kind of go, oh, what if I want to try VR down the line? The Series X doesn't have that. The PlayStation VR has that. There's no strategic interest, in my view, for Sony to bring this headset support mm. onto PC. They would then also have to port. Think of the tight integration between the hardware and software that's needed for this tracking system, for the optics, for the dynamic foveated rendering that they're talking about in the eye tracking that PlayStation VR 2 has. They would have to spend all of this effort to bring it over to PC. And for what benefit? especially given the fact that they're probably going to have to sell this thing at cost given all the hardware in it and make the money back when you buy PlayStation VR 2 games. So they're going to be selling something at cost. They're making no money off for you to go on Steam and give Valve their money. I cannot see it happening. You know, I mean, you make a, you make a lot of really, really interesting points, but I, I have to think that Half-Life Alex is the reason, right? If, if you're 
PlayStation VR 2 in 2022, you're Sony, and you need to have Half-Life Alex on your platform in order to have it be a differentiator against Quest. You go to Valve and say, can you bring it to PlayStation? They're like, yeah, we could bring it, but what about Steamworks? What about all the mod support? And it, it becomes this really complicated discussion between these two parties where it's like, yeah, I could see it benefiting Valve to bring it to another platform. But what really benefits Valve is to get some hooks of Steam into some kind of cross-pollination of these platforms. And it makes sense to me to have Half-Life Alex run on PSVR 2, but you couldn't have all the mod support and all those add-ons without getting more robustly support of Steam. I can see the benefits to both parties if you could go and buy Half-Life Alex from the, the Sony store but you could also hook it up to your PC and get all the mod add-ons as well. That would be an amazing experience at the end of the day, and I could see how it could benefit both parties, even if it seems unlikely. Yeah, and I, I see how it would, but you have to remember, console gamers have always got, uh, gotten these titles without the mod support. There's a range of games that, you know, on PC, mods are a very important part of the gameplay, but on console, those mods never came, and they're still very high-selling titles. You know, we've seen the Portal series, Valve's ported recently to Switch. We saw, you know, a lot of the Half-Lives in the past came to consoles without any of the mods. I don't think console players care that much about mods, or else they would be PC players, not console players in general. So I, I still think, you know, that when someone wants to play Half-Life Alex that's never played it before, the first thought in their mind isn't going to be, oh God, I wish I had all the mods. It's going to be, I want to play this experience that Valve built, this, you know, this expansive, immersive story world campaign that Valve has built out. I, I don't think they're going to sit and go, you know, I don't want this because those mods aren't available. I agree it would be great for the industry if this happened. You know, I, it would really, really help competition in the PC space. It would benefit both companies, but for the reasons I've outlined, it's not in Sony's strategic interest. There's this aspect also, I think, to Valve that the index served as a dev kit, kind of. It, it, it let Valve say, this is what we want VR to be with the added finger tracking and the great outside in tracking with the base stations. It was another marker for Valve to do, but it's been a couple more years there's no equivalent of that on PC, and we're still arguing or, or talking that it may take Deckard or whatever Steam's standalone is a couple more years. There kind of needs to be another marker over on PC for developers to build toward. We've got OpenXR here, Heaney. I don't understand why they can't team up and say Valve is going to develop an open source uh drivers for running all the computer vision and yeah maybe it's a lesser experience for a couple of years than having an actual playstation 5 and a psvr2 headset but you could at least also connect it and have some very beta software to run your psvr2 on a pc i, I get that it doesn't necessarily benefit sony in the same way as an exclusive relationship but I also think that that was before Quest 2 was so dominant in the market, is I guess what I'm saying. This is Sony waking up to the fact that they've got to be a little bit more strategic in thinking long-term about their platform. Remember that this is only a small percentage of Quest 2 users. The majority of Quest 2 users don't plug into their PC. They never play in anything other than standalone mode. 
that, you know, if Sony was trying to combat the success of Quest 2, and if they wanted to take that on directly, they would be building a standalone headset. It wouldn't be that they're coming to PC because, you know, as we've said, PC just isn't growing in anywhere near the scale of standalone. In fact, it's relative to the overall PC gaming market. It's stagnated, as we can see from this figure right here. I was thinking about your use of the word stagnation to qualify the 11% growth. And, you know, I think the difference here is we are talking about uh, millions and millions of Quest 2s selling annually now. We don't know how many millions quite, you know, quite solidly yet. But when we talk about 11% growth in Steam VR users, we're probably talking in the hundreds of thousands uh, or maybe a million uh, in growth year to year. Like it's it it is growing, but it's nowhere near the scale of the Quest Two growth. I get what you're saying, Heaney, about all this. It's just I feel like there are things to your point about this only being a small percentage of the Quest Two market. Uh, that's what I think valve and sony could both benefit from if they could have a cooperation agreement and you remember there was a cooperation agreement between valve and microsoft there was a move by microsoft to try to lock in developers into the windows store but valve and microsoft had an agreement here and even in windows mixed reality you go into that home screen and you get referred over to going and getting stuff on steam so platform level agreements are possible, but I understand the reasons why it might not happen. Shola Loves Games pointing out that they would really have liked Sony to have gone with the same Quest 2 strategy of making it PlayStation VR portable that you can use without a PlayStation 5, and then you can upgrade down a PlayStation 5 to the line, down the line. So a direct competitor to Quest, you know, I completely agree with that. It would have been a lot better for Sony to take on Quest directly than to go with this strategy because then you need a PlayStation 5 and a PSVR 2 headset on top of it. And then you've got the cable because you don't have that onboard processing power to be able to decode a wireless stream. You're going to have to stick with the cable. Hopefully when Sony comes to their next headset years down the line, that is what they go for. I can't see Sony still trying to release a wired headset if standalones keep growing and you see Apple and Google and others enter the market. Let's move on to this next subject here. So starting next month, if you've uh, got a Quest, you can opt in to see your Oculus Move stats on iOS and Android. Heaney, do you use Oculus Move to track any of your activity in VR? And if this change comes out, will it change how you use that tracking? I don't personally, but I know a lot of people do. And I, and we've heard recently that fitness is one of the fastest growing content sectors within VR. It's one of the things that surprised Meta. It surprised a lot of people who talk about their ideas of the future of VR, including people like us. A lot of people did not see this coming, that even this early with headsets being half acrylogram boxes on your face, that people would genuinely want to put these on and work out. But it's happening. Supernatural is growing very fast and it got acquired by Meta. There's other apps like FitXR. Beat Saber itself is in many ways for people a workout. We've heard stories from so many people that have lost weight or improved their fitness from using Beat Saber. And we're now seeing this integration where a lot of people who are in the Apple ecosystem are using Apple Health. They don't want to have a completely separate Oculus move. They want to have all of their kind of calorie tracking in the same place. And integrating with Apple Health is going to 
make that happen. And it's an example of something that Meta could have decided, oh, we want to have only our own Meta Health that doesn't integrate with these other services. But it's an example of practical product thinking where people are using Apple Health. And if you're not going to integrate with it, then they're just not going to use this as much in their real kind of fitness life than if you do integrate with it. I love Onakazi's comment. I'm looking back on it, Ian, wishing for a pony right now with my discussion earlier. Yep, that was uh, that was me dreaming big and hoping for things that will never happen. I appreciate that. Yeah, I don't know if there's a whole lot more to add here. We've had Supernatural folks in this studio. We had Leanne over there, the, the lead trainer, who set the tone for the entire Supernatural training program. And uh, also had a Supernatural super fan, Chesney uh, Mariani, in here in the studio. And both of them talked to me about the value of VR fitness and the things that VR fitness does that traditional fitness doesn't. I, I go back to various things people have said over the years. It's very easy to argue that VR is antisocial and that it is disconnecting you from things you should care about. but these people and their stories who go into VR and just sweat buckets out the bottom of the headset tell a very, very different story. And it's that, in fact, the physical world is oppressing and making people antisocial because of the judgment that happens anytime you're in public. So the, 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 the fact that you could disconnect judgment from a person's routine and let them just focus in their own house on their own physical fitness actually could unlock a lot of self-improvement for a lot of people that were just failed by anything that existed before. And basically, I put the question to both Chesney and Leanne, is VR fitness going to get larger than gyms? And I think we're in the early days here where it really could. It could, out, over the long term of this, outstrip physical gyms just because so many other people could be granted judgment-free zones in order to improve themselves and work on themselves. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I think it's also a convenient and cost thing, isn't it? Because if you want to, if you have a busy life and you want to join the gym, you're going to have to get the transportation to the gym. We've seen fuel prices are going up skyrocketing because of current global issues. You're going to have to pay for that gym subscription. Whereas if you already have a headset and more and more people every year will be in that camp, the subscription for something like this is going to actually be a lower cost than going to the gym when you include all of those extra costs. And you have it in your own home. You can do it at your own time. If you're in a job that you can get a task assigned very quickly, you can just put the headset down, finish your job and go straight back into the virtual gym. You can have a personal trainer that seems like it's customized to you over time as AI improves and we get better language models that can understand what you're actually saying to them for a much lower cost than if you're going to get a personal trainer. So I, I don't think it's going to replace gyms, but I do agree that it's going to be more popular than gyms over time, just like we've seen kind of software eat all of these physical real life experiences. More people play first person shooters than play paintball or airsoft, but people still play paintball and airsoft. Mm -hmm. They're just very different experiences that one is a lot more expensive and less convenient and the other is just a piece of software that you can download and run it well. Mm -hmm. And over on the Facebook Supernatural group, it's been really interesting to see the tone of the supportive community that they've been able to grow there, where it ballooned into tens of thousands of people over the course of months. And 
everyone in there is supportive of other people's journeys. And yeah, there's of course the trolls or the people that are uh, detracting from that overall uh, feel, but the general consensus of everyone in there was very supportive of everyone else. And you can see an end goal there where you could have the people over your shoulder watching your workout who you know are in your corner and going to give you that uh, extra push. It's not just necessarily the machine learning coach that you might have adjusting your workout for you or the actual physical coach that like came into a recording studio and recorded themselves doing the workout. It could actually be your friends standing over your shoulder, giving you that extra push and not the judgmental people who are maybe the thing that was specifically commented in the studio was like people taking photos of you in public when you're not at the place where you want to be. So you've come to the gym to work out and improve yourself and someone brings their phone out and and tries to make fun of you for (laughs) trying to better yourself. I think it's frowned upon or people will maybe kick you out of gyms if you do that, but it still happens. And you have that potential avenue for the complete opposite where you only have people that are supportive uh, at your back. Paradise Decay uh, made an interesting comment here saying that you know they don't think PlayStation VR actually needs to compete with Quest because they're more gaming oriented and Quest more social. I, I agree with you in the sense that you know PlayStation VR can deliver a gaming experience that Quest can't because of that extra power. But I, I don't know if I agree with you to say that Quest is just going social. Look at the recent major applications, Resident Evil 4, Medal of Honor, you know, what's recently been announced. Grand Theft Auto, San Andreas, these aren't social apps. These are single-player games. So we're going to see Quest deliver gaming, but it's going to be something that's lower cost but lower fidelity than the PlayStation 5. And the sentiment of your comment is right to say that Sony can carve out this high-end gaming market with this high-fidelity, very immersive style of AAA games that a mobile processor and a Quest just can't do. This last subject here could be quite the discussion. I obviously have my own thoughts. I'd love to get Heaney's before I get into my thoughts here. But first, let's hear from Valve President Gabe Newell, who says that most people mentioning the metaverse right now, quote, have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Heaney, what do you make of all the people pitching us the metaverse coverage these days? And do you have the full quote over there that Gabe offered? There's a few different quotes from this interview. I can continue the quote you were just saying there. He said, they've apparently never played an MMO. They're like, oh, you'll have this customizable avatar. And it's like, well, you know, go into Final Fantasy 14 and tell me this isn't a solved problem a decade ago, not some fabulous thing that you're inventing. But, you know, he said, it'll be interesting to see if anyone who's sort of coming to the party late has much to add rather than a desire to have a bunch of reasons to give them a bunch of money for magic reasons. But, you know, in the end, customers and useful technology win out. So I'm not super worried about that. So I think there's two levels of metaverse hype that Gabe could be talking about here. And, you know, some people would say that maybe it's talking about the virtual reality stuff. But I think it's a lot more this kind of wave of crypto world where you have these NFT projects that, you know, you have this metaverse that's decentralized, but the, the experience of using it is like using a video game 15 years ago. There's nothing innovative or unique about it. You're still accessing it through a monitor. It's just a game that happens to use crypto technology. And separately to whether crypto technology has its own valid and important usage, that's a separate conversation. When it comes to these specific ideas 
of you know the metaverse it does look like a lot of people are just trying to cash in on the current hype and my reading of gabe's comments in this interview was that that he's talking about this huge wave of people who don't understand the technology who don't care about actually building a fun and unique and interesting massively multiplayer experience they just see dollar signs and want to try and cash in on the hype i was writing this editorial published it last week talking about this metaverse concept and gabe newell's comments on this really brought home something that happened from about 2016 onward i've been working covering vr from home for more than half a decade now uh getting close to 10 years in the next few years here and 2014 marked the moment when Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook bought Oculus. And even though that purchase came on the heels of larger purchases in terms of Instagram and is it WhatsApp? Uh, I think WhatsApp was like a $19 billion purchase or something in that vicinity compared to this just $2 billion purchase of Oculus. But enough investors and people paid attention to the words that Mark Zuckerberg was saying back in 2014 with the acquisition of Oculus to hear him indicate VR is where we're going to push this ship in the future. We think the VR is the future of everything. And from about 2014 onward, my inbox has been just nonstop misuse of the term VR and virtual reality to apply to literally everything under the sun. You, you could have just the most ridiculous idea back in 2016 and you just stuck vr into the title of your project because that's the term everyone uses for cyberspace the internet it became the new term to use for everything and now heaney i don't know if your inbox is like mine but it is metaverse 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 and you could swap out metaverse for virtual reality for cyberspace for any number of terms and it's just a very large number of low effort people trying to get coverage of their work coming to our inbox and trying to get coverage for very bad ideas. It's frustrating for us as people who are entrenched in this to see that repeating of history just five years down the line where now all these people see Mark Zuckerberg using the term metaverse and they seem to be throwing everything in the kitchen sink into calling it a metaverse. Do you have any thoughts on that usage of this term? Do you feel comfortable using a metaverse to describe anything that happens in VR these days? Yeah, I mean, I do because this seems to be a problem in wider tech. Whenever there is a new wave of investment, whenever there is a kind of new hype word, whether it be the creator economy or smart homes or autonomy, all of these new waves of technology, you will always have a, a group of grifters that come along and try and just use the right words to trick people who aren't really clued into what the technology really means to invest their money. Because you have this in the tech industry, you have people who are really building the technology and understand it and then separately beside them funding them you have these people who are just money people and their entire job is to just allocate their finances and invest in things that in many cases they may not really understand because maybe a few years ago they made a good bet and put in a lot of money to some guy who really was telling the truth with his outlandish claims and it gave them a you know a 20x or 100x return but i don't think that grifters and people who are kind of exploiting these terms mean that we need to stop using them completely to me metaverse still has a meaning 
of a very specific technical meaning, one that hasn't been realized yet, or at least only realized in maybe a few platforms like Neos and to some extent VR chat, in that it's one software runtime or a set of open standards that allow you to access a wide range of content and worlds and experiences without downloading separate applications. To me, um, the metaverse is when we move from a, an app store where you download and update these completely separate siloed apps that are they're completely different code and completely different software compiled into different packages to something that is a different software model where more of the core functionality is built into the headset or the operating system or the platform or whatever layer it is. It's a layer that is separate to the content. And so when a friend says, why don't we hop into golf? Instead of having to go, oh, let me spend $20 and download a three gigabyte file called golf Mm -hmm. and wait for that to update, I can say, oh, sure. Just like on the web, when someone sends you a URL, you don't have to download every website you go to. To me, that's what the metaverse means. That's the promise of the metaverse and what it could be. So I think that term is still useful. But yes, grifters and marketers and even people like Mark Zuckerberg and his executives have abused this term to the point where it is starting to lose its meaning. Yeah, and I I appreciate Jim Masterson's comment out there saying those people that are contacting us are called marketers. Their job is to sell things because that's their job. I mean, that's what they're doing. It's more than just the marketers who are contacting us, though. It is the founders of these companies and the investors who are supporting them, buying into some of these ideas and pushing them in ways that can mislead a lot of the public in how, what the benefits are they you know people keep bringing up nfts in our comments and i've tried a half a dozen times to explain what an nft is to people in my social circle and it's not useful to them it's not useful to me to even bother explaining some of those things you know there's a ledger in the cloud i i don't it doesn't help anyone to use those things in a vast majority of circumstances except for the one at the end of the day that is going to be the useful one and it's just a lot of bad ideas along the way i love that you brought up golf specifically because i actually use the term metaverse in a non-silly way you know not to not to just say the so-called metaverse which is how we refer to it in some of our articles but i actually used it specifically in my walkabout mini golf story where they announced labyrinth Inspired by the 1980s movie Labyrinth, there's going to be a course inside Walkabout Mini Golf where you can presumably putt all the way through various holes that are inspired by various sections of that movie with David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly. That, in my mind, came the closest to what you described and what is this metaverse idea. And there's a lot of layers to what Walkabout Mini Golf has done that are so key there where you can go and buy a course for walkabout mini golf and then invite me to play it with you just using a simple room code and i could be on a steam headset and i could go play that course with you even though i don't actually have that course because they have a guest pass feature that allows you to share that that puts a lot of onus on 
Walkabout Mini Golf, Mighty Coconut, the developers of that, to ensure all of those things pass from player to player. That's the closest we've come to exactly what you just described, and it works on multiple platforms. And I'm so hopeful that Mighty Coconut stays independent and 11VR stays independent because those two games, real-world games, are such great exemplifiers of this end goal of reaching a metaverse that if they go and get bought up by a a meta or an apple they're gonna lose some of that magic by going to the one of these motherships but i guess heaney the thing that i'm describing with walkabout mini golf are we going to see ultimately a interoperable standard that solidifies what they're doing and makes it possible for someone to buy something from apple and then go into walkabout mini golf with us because that's that that is where we're heading they have an iphone app they have an android app i think but they first developed that game as a mobile experience and then went and focused on this wholly different avenue and have done very well but am i going to be able to buy it from one store and use it on a different store and invite my friends how is this all going to work Sure, but we've seen cross-platform multiplayer for decades now, and we've seen games that allow one player to own a DLC and others to join them. To me, that's not a metaverse, because say you're in some social app with someone, say you're in uh, VR chat or something, and you say, oh, I want to go play walkabout mini golf to someone. You're talking about this, you've, you've given this pitch to someone, and they say, sure, I'll join you. They now have to close VR chat go into their store of choice, purchase that app, download the app, launch it, go through the first time configuration or tutorial or whatever there is. And then you have to arrange your room code. If you're in VR, how are you going to do that? You're going to tell them, you're going to send them, add them on some friend list on a separate service and message them. There's no real connecting thread there to me. That's just cross-platform multiplayer. The difference, when I think we've really reached the metaverse and you know, the, there's a range of technical ways this could happen, is when instead of all that, you say, oh, why don't you join me in golf? You kind of bring up in front of you some spatial invite. They tap it, you tap it, and without downloading anything, you're both transported into that golf experience. Hmm. I know I'm going to get a lot of people to say that's not how this works. I understand that on the current model of game engines that compile executables that are uploaded to a store and run that what i'm describing is impossible but i really think that to reach the metaverse that billions of people are going to use just like they use the web today it has to be that easy and it has to be a technical architecture that achieves that and whether that's through a new generation of engines that split the runtime from the content in a very different way than we have today whether that is just the web expanding maybe it's web xr that just becomes more popular over time because there isn't that download process maybe that becomes the metaverse i i don't think that this current siloed app store model gets us to anything that could really be described as a metaverse it's it's interesting to think through all those pathways right imagining a webxr experience that recreates the first hole of a walkabout mini golf course and the idea being that when you're done with the first hole the rest of the game is downloaded in the background and you can go access all the additional courses with everyone else like we discussed. But I'm seeing it in our comments where we do need an interoperable standard. And that was kind of the the, the crux of my editorial was just this idea that you're going to need somebody of Microsoft, 
or Epic Games or Unity stature to come to the table with Meta and Mark Zuckerberg and Tim Cook and Google and have all these people sit in agreement of what those interoperable standards actually are. And it can't just be half of them or competing standards or we're going to have a nightmare scenario on our hands. We, we do have to have these people come together and work on it. I guess I wonder how many years it's really going to take. I think you're completely right to say that that is what we're going to need. We're going to need a standards body that includes all of these big companies to come along and come up with protocols and standards and interoperable systems that work together, not siloed proprietary systems that connect by APIs that will not cut it to get to the metaverse we're talking about here. It needs to be open standards, but it has happened before. How did we get the web that we have today? We got it through these kind of massive Herculean standardization efforts to a lesser extent with things like OpenGL and Vulkan. We've seen that come where pretty much every platform on the planet supports OpenGL. Apple in recent years obviously decided not to support Vulkan, but other developers have come along to make a translation layer there. So at least you have that. I think Apple is going to be the big thorn in the foot for this idea in that in recent years, Apple has really not been interested in standardization. You buy almost any portable electronic device today that is new and you plug in a USB-C port to it. That's how it charges. That's how it does data. You buy an iPhone and it's a lightning cable. There's a range of other examples where an entire industry adopts something and Apple is the one to stay out. Ironically, though, it may be Apple that actually delivers something close to the metaverse experience I was describing there, where you have this separation of the system software runtime and the content based on some of the job listings we've seen for Apple. But whether the industry would adopt something like that out of an Apple proposal, who knows? Though we did, we have seen Apple proposals being adopted. For example, Thunderbolt, the Thunderbolt standard emerged in Apple. Apple also had a huge part to play in USB. USB is another example of a successful standardization across an industry. That USB-A port that's in almost every kind of large electronic device and obviously being slowly replaced by USB-C, but for decades it, it served as an, an open kind of interoperable system. Can we see something like that happen for the metaverse? Zuckerberg hinted at it at Connect, but didn't give any solid details. But we're probably going to need to wait a few years until all the other big companies are on board with the idea to even get there, because it doesn't sound like companies like Google are even on board with the idea of VR and AR to the extent that they would need to be yet to put in this kind of effort. If it was going to happen, I would hope that someone like some group like the Kronos Group that did work on things like OpenGL is the one to get it out. Although, Again, as I said before, it could just be an evolution of the web, and you already have the very successful W3C Standards Committee that has built all of these kind of recent web standards, and all of these companies do adopt it. But obviously, if it's going to be the web, there's going to be a lot of limitations there compared to native apps, and they're going to have to find a way to bridge that gap. Jim Masterson has gone on here and said uh, people hate the words like Web3, Metaverse, v VR, but they all are just trying to express a vision that is going to come at some point, and it just depends on how long. I love that way of talking about it. The other part of my editorial and the thing that really gets me here, Heaney, is you've talked about this idea of Zuckerberg playing, what is it, 60 or 4D chess, while everyone else is playing 3D chess. And I think that's the kind of 
issue that I, I have. You talked about a URL system evolving to accommodate spatial places and a spatial way of us both accepting an invite to go do something together. I'm only seeing Mark Zuckerberg thinking at that level of going and buying meta.com several years ago and then using the word meta and the metaverse to refer to a name change in his company that is still off into the future. So he was getting people thinking about this and using these terms and rallying all those people I was complaining about, the grifters and the people who are using all of these terms just to hawk bad tech. He was on board with getting all those people to buy into this new wave. And all of it goes to strengthen this idea that (laughs) meta.com is the owner of the metaverse, right? Isn't that the end? Like, isn't there a risk in other companies like Epic and Apple and Microsoft using the term metaverse because Zuckerberg has gone so far ahead in branding himself and associating himself with this terminology? There's an argument to be made, but in the end, I don't think that the terms that we use matter that much. And I think that's why the comment you highlighted is such a great comment, actually, because on on these kind of shows and in these kind of discussions, we focus so much on the terminology and the naming. But at the end of the day, regular users of technology don't really care what things are called. They care what they do and what they can actually do for them. And that brings us back to Gabe's final comment in this interview, which was, in the end, customers and useful technology win out. So I'm not super worried about that. That's Gabe's quote. And I think Mm -hmm. he's absolutely right. We don't really need to care about what things are called and who's branded what, because in the end, the the technologies that people really practically use to connect with their friend across distance, the things that they find entertaining, the things that they find useful for fitness, the things that let them create the kind of content they want to create, whether you know it's 3D art or a new kind of immersive video or music in three dimensions in a, a virtual music studio. That's what matters to people, not what it's called, not what it's branded, but what it really does for them. Great comments here. Thank you so much for the discussion over there. Is there anything specific that we should respond to there in the comments, Heaney? I'm loving so much of the discussion. It's hard to pick out just a couple. Yeah, I agree with you. We're really high quality discussion here. I'm just following along to see uh, if there's anything we, we should specifically respond to. Shalaska points out that the term metaverse is being taken away from them before they even made anything. Crook's Peak is saying, would existing apps offering cross-game content in a metaverse style break existing store terms of service? That's a good point. There's so much kind of intellectual property law today and copyright law that would have to be very carefully adapted to work in this kind of system we're talking about. Mm. I love that too. And it's what I think about these edges that Meta and Apple and Google can use to their advantage in prying open this future in their favor the leverage they can use to get a a leg up on the competition here and share play over at apple is going to be their big leverage right that be able being able to watch and enjoy things with people who are far away is their version of some of the things meta has pitched their horizon home is going to do But it's critical here that a lot of the partners that are necessary to make these features really useful haven't come on board yet because we don't have the interoperability standards that is going to, like, not give 
a 5%, even a 5% cut from your bottom line at Netflix to Apple is too much, right? You can't have any percent cut in order to grow as a business as large as you want to grow. And that is, at the end of the day, what a lot of these features are going to boil down to. Shala Shaska, sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, I think I got the syllables right there, says, Meta needs to make the iPhone of AR VR headsets first. The Quest 2 is just an appetizer, but it's much too bulky currently. The reason I like that comment is because what you're getting at there is that we're still very, very early in the AR VR market. And I think a lot of people forget this. We're still in like the early 90s equivalent of personal computers. We're still before the first iPhone moment when it comes to this industry. We're talking about standardization and these kind of future technologies, but we have to remember that when desktop computers first came out, there was very little standardization. It was all separate proprietary ecosystems. When smartphones first came out, there was very little standardization. New technologies take a while to grow and to find out what people really want to use them for and what makes them sticky in people's lives before we get to that point where then we standardize around that useful use case that people have found. I think that's a really important point. We are still at the end of the beginning. We're not even in the middle or the end. This industry has barely just started and we haven't even seen some of the players that will probably be the biggest players jump in yet. We are at the very, very start. Yeah, that is a fantastic comment. And it does remind me of what Tim Sweeney said in 2019 when I asked him about this, where he he did exactly what you just described and compared the state, him realizing the state of the VR market is where you just described it. And then Epic Games started skating to some kind of future. They started aiming for some larger area and in 2019, Sweeney used the term AR to refer to that. And we have such difficulty here. We work so hard to break these terminologies down into their actual differences. And what we're seeing, Heaney, where we've, we keep banging this drum week after week after week, is all indications are that opaque displays, things that block off the world and then are recreated with computer vision, is probably the path forward near term for great VR optics or great optics, great augmented optics. All of it is going to be this opaque display with computer vision recreating large parts of it. And at the end of the day, we don't need a term to refer to that. We just need to describe that technology for what it does. But it's just of all these companies that we're talking about, which ones are going to be the ones that position themselves to benefit the most from the right architecture forward? And all indications are that Valve, Sony, and Meta are out there with leading products that will eventually uh, be the defining part of this next stage, whatever we call it. I, w- I would kind of push back on that and say that they were the companies that are defining so far. I think if we look forward, it's going to be Meta, Apple, and Google. I I don't see Valve as getting to anywhere near the scale of those companies. They have their own niche in the PC market, which is on the grand scale of technology, still a tiny niche. Mm. Sony, even console gaming, people forget, is a niche. There are something like 100 million console users. There's something like 2 billion tech users. So even the console market is a tiny fraction of the market that these bigger companies like Apple and Google and Meta are aiming for. And Mm. we haven't seen two of those big companies jump in yet. Apple still isn't even in this market. Google still isn't even still in this market. We're so early and they haven't jumped in yet. 
Google was, and then they chickened out, right? And now we're waiting for them to pick another entry point, and we don't know how many years they're going to hold off. I don't know. I, it's a wonderful discussion again in our comments. I just want to say thank you to our, our commenters who are really going to, the, to some of the core of this stuff. People are talking about TikTok and ByteDance and some of our discussions previously about the West versus the East kind of elements playing into some of this. You talk about Valve playing in its niche on PC. I get very confused when we talk about the concept of an open web versus the concept of open PC. And you have like religious zealots who exist in each of these communities who detract from anything that might make the open web less open or make the open PC market less open. Somewhere from those two markets is this metaverse concept. We're going to have an open metaverse. But what shape it takes is still so confusing to people. I don't know who's going to win out. I, I have a hard time with Google bringing up that Google leading. It's seeing the way they cut their losses with VR is really tough to see them being able to lead in this next phase. So it looks like Google exited the market for a confluence of reasons, but one of them was this kind of very short-term focus on competing with Apple in smartphone AR. The report we talked about on this show a few weeks ago from The Verge suggests that Google is coming back hard in this market in 2024, that's their plan at least, with a headset that is a pass-through AR headset, which means it should be capable of VR too. We are hearing from that report that Google plans to build its own operating system. It has hired Meta's former head of operating systems. Google recently put its first chip into its Pixel phones, the Pixel 6, so it now can build off that and no longer have to be reliant on Qualcomm. It has that Stadia infrastructure that's sitting there unused because Stadia was a failure compared to something like the Xbox market and it seems Google is well positioned to just build off what they did with Android and pivot in. Daydream seemed like a side project to me. You know, what was the real commitment from Google there in terms of resources and people? I never saw Google put their best people on Daydream. I didn't see Google fund a lot of content. They talk about what they put their priorities into. It was AI. It was smartphone AR. It was these specific machine learning technologies for their core focuses like Google Photos, that computer vision. Daydream was realistically a side project for their phones. Let's see what happens when Google really tries to get into this market. And there's another player that we very rarely talk about. I don't actually see many people talk about. I'll check the comments in case I've missed someone. But Amazon. Amazon mm -hmm. is a company that builds consumer hardware for low price. It is arguably the most similar to Meta when it comes to a hardware approach of trying to remove as much cost as possible and get down to the minimum viable product. Amazon is likely to be a big player in this market going forward. It has mm. the largest cloud infrastructure in the world. So it, you know its metaverse potential there is, is huge. And it has a huge war chest of money ready to be used on projects like this. It can invest tens of billions in research and development if it needs to. And the other thing is we know that Amazon is actually very effective at keeping its long-term projects secret. For example, when it entered and defined the smart home assistant market with Alexa, it, I don't see any reason why Amazon wouldn't also jump into this market when it becomes sensible for them to do so. I love the mention of Amazon. Our commenters are really responding to it. That was a really good shout out. And I want to mention uh, Shopify as kind of like the smaller Amazon. And if you can follow at Push Matrix on Twitter, that's a uh, Shopify employee doing some amazing experimentation in VR. 
And I love seeing those videos. I think he was just putting this weird potato peeler out there today. But there, we've had a push matrix on and we've talked to them at, at length. And there was this comment from him about how we see all these metaverse visions, these bad videos that show people shopping down aisles exactly like the Walmart store. And that's the complete opposite. Why would a wizard go to a store to buy wizarding goods? That doesn't make any sense at a fundamental level. And we're going to have to see uh, a complete evolution of the shopping experience over time. Because what people will want to buy for their homes when so many of our electronics are now just glasses is going to change fundamentally. And again, going back to the interoperability standards, you don't want to be paying 30% of each sale to some platform holder. Yeah, I have a very strong kind of positive view of what Shopify will be able to do in the software space here because they're investing in that R&D and figuring out what people really want from a VR, AR shopping experience before any of those big players. And as you say, Push Matrix has got prototypes of actually useful VR concepts of shopping rather than those nonsensical ideas of walking down a virtual aisle. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, that's it for us this week. Tune in on Thursdays for our game shows. We're going to move to Tuesdays here going forward because Monday gets really busy with the news coming right off the weekend. We need to catch up on everything that's happening. So we should have a real good summary for you every week on Tuesday at this time. Every week going forward, Heaney and I are going to try to uh, summarize the news. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, see you in the future.